The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 91. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're continuing our preparation for the next season of Doctor Who by discussing uh, new Doctor Who showrunner Chris Chibnall's previous work on the show. Uh, he wrote several episodes of Doctor Who beforehand, and we'll also discuss some of his other work that he's done uh, on TV. Uh, but uh, joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, yes, Chris Chibnall. Um, he is was announced that he, uh, you know, last year, uh, I think before we knew who the new Doctor would be, we knew that Stephen Moffat was leaving uh, his controversial leadership of the show uh, and that Chris Chibnall had been hired to replace him and that um, he has some experience on the show. He's written a handful of episodes before uh, one episode, uh, Martha Jones episode, and then the rest from the uh, Amy and Rory period mm-hmm. uh, episodes and webisodes and one that does that sort of defies categorization. We'll talk about that uh, when we get to it too. Um, that yeah. and they've been of varying quality. Yeah. He <laughs> also he also wrote a lot for Torchwood. He actually wrote more right. for Torchwood than he did for Doctor Who. And right. I feel it's kind of a limitation in a way. It's not quite fair to the audience of our listeners because we're not going to really be able to talk about the Torchwood stuff because none of us have really watched Torchwood. So um, what I saw of Torchwood, I didn't like. And it just wasn't something I wanted to get into. Well, he was he was the head writer for it. So he was kind of the, you know, kind of what. um, Showrunner for the spinoff. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's so. But given that uh, we're going to talk about what he did for Doctor Who, how that might inform, you know, what we're going to see from him. And uh, and we'll also talk about what, you know, what we've another show that he's written that's been extremely popular <clears throat> called uh, Broadchurch. Yeah. Um, a- you know, it would be an interesting point of feedback from from the listeners who have seen Torchwood uh, to say, well, okay, what does his, what does Chibnall's time as head writer for Torchwood tell you about how he right. might do on Doctor Who? Because we're going to look at what he's done for Doctor Who, what he's done on Torchwood, you can fill in that missing piece for us. Uh, to me, the fact that I didn't like Torchwood enough to even watch it is not a great sign. Right. Um, and right. and it, spoiler alert, his Doctor Who stuff, I think, is mostly mediocre. So that's yeah. not a good sign. However, mediocre to bad. Mediocre, mediocre to, to bad. bad. Yeah. yeah. However, I think that Torchwood, at least the first two seasons of it, were really good. And so that's a good sign. I mean, Broadchurch. Broadchurch. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. Two syllable name. Can't yeah. handle those. So let's let's start with his um, 
his Doctor Who stories, uh, which uh, the first one that he wrote was called 42. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we'll actually be discussing this in detail uh, not too not too long after the end of the the next uh, the the new season of Doctor Who, uh, because we're we're as part of our rewatch, we're, yeah. we'll we'll get to this pretty soon after that. But it's a Martha Jones story, mm-hmm. and it's the seventh episode of that season. And someone ma- mentions uh, in commentary, it's the first trip Martha's trip as first trip as a, an official companion. Because her previous trips were more were part of his thanks for helping him in Smith and Jones, which is yeah. I don't know that's a that's a fine distinction I suppose, but that's a little different <laughs> distinction, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the for- synopsis, well, let me just mm-hmm. give a quick Go synopsis: uh, the Doctor and Martha they hit, have, follow a distress signal, they end up trapped on a spaceship that's hurtling towards the sun, and they can't they have TARDIS separation, uh, and they have forty two minutes left till impact. And they have to save the day. And by the way, something else is on the ship and it's trying to uh, burn everybody yeah. to death. Yeah. And so as the title indicates, this is this episode is played out in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So you've got 42 minutes. That's after the setup. That's the length of the episode. And, um, and it's basically a combination. Notice also 42 is the opposite of 24. Uh, right. Which is a famous Ooh. TV series uh, that's which played in real time. Still current at the time that this and, aired and, in 2007. Yeah. And of course, 42 is the meaning of the life universe and everything. So That as well. A so. Douglas Adams reference, <laughs> Douglas Adams, a writer for Doctor Who. But what this plays out like is a combination of 24 meets the movie Alien. Right. Because there's like a threat hunting down people on this ship. And um, and it's not a, a widely liked episode, but I like this one. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, I, I think this is fine. It's a fun adventure. Um, it has an interesting concept for the monster. It's like a solar energy being that lives yeah. in a sun, and mm-hmm. that's cool. And then you have this series of, of puzzles that uh, – that, have to be solved that are entertaining because the crew on the spaceship, um, you know, each each like each doorway on the spaceship has a security question that you have to be able to answer. And one night before the episode, they all got drunk and reprogrammed the security (laughs) questions and now they don't remember the answers. And so you get some interesting questions that have to be solved. I love the one about pre-download. Who had the most number one hits, Elvis or the Beatles? Um, <laughs> and because this is set in the future. And yeah, right. another one is like, what's the next series in these numbers? And the doctor realizes they're all happy primes and they're go- everyone's going, what is Happy primes. Every number that meets meets this definition is happy. Every number that meets this definition is happy prime. Every number that meets both definitions is a happy prime. Don't you people teach recreational mathematics anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's some there's there's some good lines. Um, And and like you said, the 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 pacing is good. Uh, The the story um, I I felt like was was pretty well written. This. There's a there's several twists in the in the story. The, a couple of moments mm-hmm. where you think um, the re- this is the resolution, everything's fixed, and then it turns out that there's an additional problem. Complication. Yeah. Yeah. There's a so, there's a great moment where Martha is in an, a, a kind of an escape pod thing and has been cast off from the spaceship, and she sees the doctor 
in a porthole as she's falling away from the spaceship. And it's like, oh, yeah. we're doomed. And yeah. how are we going to get out of this? And that's a great moment. And there's also a really nice part of the story where she was calling her mother. The doctor had fixed her phone like he had for Rose <clears> to <throat> be able to call from any time in space back home. And she's trying to hold a conversation with her mother, who's this overbearing woman that we remember from Smith and Jones. Um, and not not let on that things are uh, that there's trouble that she's her life is in danger, even as um, her mother is trying to get her to like reassure her. The doctor's there, right? You're you, as long as you're with the doctor, you're fine, right? And so there's this really nice, you know, you know, Martha is put on this emotional roller coaster through this episode, right. and uh, it's just put in extreme situations. So uh, I. Yeah, I agree with you, Jimmy. I tended to like this one um, more than some of the other ones. but uh, I think this is the yeah. best of the Chris Chibnall episodes. Yeah. I agree with that, absolutely. And I would I would put it slightly above average. It's not one of my favorite all-time episodes, but it's above average, and I would easily rewatch it just for fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you agree, Father Corey? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> just for all the reasons you guys – I just let you guys talk because you're, everything you're saying <laughs> I agree with. So. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, so then we uh, – the next set of uh, Chris Chibnall stories is a two-parter um, from season five. It's Amy and Rory and the Doctor, and it's Hungry Earth and Cold Blood, mm -hmm. and it's the reintroduction of the Silurians to mm -hmm. Doctor Who. Um, yeah. And so – yeah. I would say this is a step down from 42. Yeah, I don't yeah. hate these episodes, but they're just kind of meh. I kind of, I kind of like the Silurians in this. Um, mm -hmm. the, in the first episode, they're much. They're, the the Silurians are this one Silurian. They're sort of uh, masked, and they're very. There's there's this sinister feeling because you don't get to see them. You, they, all of their action takes place in the shadows, and mm -hmm. so it's the the unseen enemy. And so there's that tension that comes from that, and I like that. And the second part. I mean, honestly, the resolution of the second episode I, is so forgettable to me. Like, I've, I've watched this <laughs> the second episode like several times now, and every time I'm like, "How do they wrap this up? How do they fix all this?" And I just yeah. never remember it. It's just it's so convoluted. One one thing I like about the resolution is so they introduce the I, and I think this may be I think this is the first time they mention it. I could be wrong about that, but they introduce the idea of fixed points in time where history is definitely going to go one way. And if you mess with that, really bad things will happen. And um, and so um, and so that is something conceptually the series needs because it can't constantly be changing history or it will it will kill the drama in the show if you can always go back and change something. And right. so this concept of a fixed point puts a dramatic limit on the storytelling, which you need for the stories to have meaning. And it's been there before, kind of, but now they've made it explicit. But then what the doctor does is he says, guess what? This isn't a fixed point. You humans and Silurians can negotiate a peace together and live together if you want. And that's conceptually nice. I like that. Well, it's 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 also consistent with, you know, we talked about Doctor Who and the Silurians from the third Doctor, the first time mm -hmm. we ever see the Silurians. Yep. Um, and it's very consistent with that because what was the Doctor trying to do there? Trying to establish peace between the Silurians and the humans. 
Yeah. Uh, one thing I do like about this is he definitely wrote the Silurians a lot less annoying than they were back then. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the noises they made. The, yeah. Those were very annoying. Yeah. And uh, even then, the Silurians were portrayed as a mixed society in terms of they don't all share the same ideology. They mm -hmm. have differences of opinion among each exactly. other and they can be reasonable. Yep. Exactly. So the, the other thing about this story that is often forgotten is that it had major uh, series implications. This story featured the death of Rory. One of the deaths of Rory. Yeah, exactly. Of, yeah. So. Rory, uh, at the end of this, dies. And as then, a, as a, but it's a throwaway crack in time death where he right. gets un unwritten he, from history. He's absorbed, and then so and 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 it, actually, I kind of liked the way that he that, that part was written, which was the tragedy that you know. So Amy loves Rory, and the tragedy is that she doesn't remember him, and only the doctor remembers Rory, and so. She doesn't. She doesn't get to grieve for him, and and so there's a, there's actually a nice moment where where we kind of get the sense of grief is part of the process, and and to be uh, to not be able to grieve for someone that you've lost that you've loved is as a great tragedy um, that she doesn't even realize exists, and I thought that was I thought that was a nice moment that he wrote in there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure whether he wrote that alone or whether. Uh, Moffat inserted that as part of the larger mythos for the season yeah. or not. Um, but that was, I like that part of the story. So, so from cold blood, we go to something a little different, which was in 2012. So a couple years later, um, as part of episode seven or, or pre previous to episode, se uh, episode season, season. seven, Mm -hmm. uh, we have something called Pond Life, and it was a series of webisodes that are now a um, a YouTube uh, compilation. Uh, you compilation. can watch. Yeah, you can just watch it on YouTube. And it, it basically, the best way to describe it is the doctor is checking in on Amy and Rory's life after leaving yeah. them. Um, By like phoning them and leaving messages on their answering machine. Right, right. And... The, I mean, the big part of it is, is over a period of time, what the the message is, um, not a message. The enduring part of it is, uh, something happens to Amy and Rory's relationship at the end, where they're where they're breaking up, where they're they're yeah. married and they're going to get divorced. They're in the midst of, as we get into mm. season, the next season, they're they're in the midst of a divorce. Mm. Um, yeah. Previous uh, to that, though, these are like meant to be fun light episodes where like an ood shows up at their house in their bathroom which is a, a nod to john pertwee's famous line that doctor who is more effective uh when a, it's a yeti on your loo than um <laughs> than being on an alien planet and right. so they like have this ood that the doctor has temporarily dropped off at their house and it, it being an ood it wants to immediately become their butler and yeah. so you right. get, you know, domestic comedy based on that, which is why it's called Pond Life. Um, yep. But then the domestic situation by the end, we learn, has soured, even though the doctor doesn't mm -hmm. know it. Right. Well, he gets a sense of uh, of it. I think he leaves a, another message on the answering machine. Um, and, you know, he, he says he attempted to visit their home, but they were out. He's sure everything's all right with them. but. 
as he's recording this message, we see this black and white footage of Rory storming out of the house and Amy shouting at him. And, um, and then he hangs up. He said, you'll call me if you need me. Hangs up. And for some reason, he, he, he has this bad feeling and deletes the message so that Amy then comes in the house and sees, checks some answering machine because this is when people had answering machines mm-hmm. and finds no message. And then she says, we need you, Raggedy Man. I need you. And that's the end of it. And, and the, people the other thing, have answering machines in 2012? I think they were still lingering answering machines around. Hmm. Yeah. People still had landlines and answering machines. Hmm. Um, I didn't. Some of us do, <laughs> still do. We want to get rid of them, but that's another story. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing, the other conceit of this, of these webisodes was that each one took place in a successive month. So the first mm-hmm. one was April. The last one was August. And then the season premiered in September. You know, that yeah. was sort of the the uh, the conceit of these. So, um, yeah, how does it work? Um, I it feels a lot like Power mm-hmm. of Three, which we'll talk about in a, a, in a mm-hmm. minute. It's the the, uh, the concept kind of gets recycled a little bit. I I liked these. I thought they were fine. Um, yeah. I didn't like the uh, the Amy and Rory separate bit, and I didn't yeah. like that when it was played out in the series either. Right. Um, there was kind of this Amy and Rory coming and going thing, where are they companions? Are they not? And I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have rather had them just be companions until their eventual departure, rather than this will they won't they thing. Right. Um. I, I didn't think that was successful, but prior to that point, I thought the Pond Life videos were fun. Yeah, yeah, yes, I, exactly. I yeah, N- nothing too deep. Some, you know, some funny stuff. We get to see the Doctor in Matahari, um, <laughs> the Doctor inventing pasta in Mongolia. Uh, you know, some, some fun <laughs> little moments. It, yeah, like that. I think yeah. I invented pasta. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, you know, he storms into their bedroom in the middle of the night and says. You have to come with me. The earth is in danger. And I'm like, what? And, and he's like, oh, wait, wrong time. Uh, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. You can't just leave us it's like gonna this. It's going to be hard getting to sleep now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it was kind of. Now, has the doctor ever had married companions before this? No. He ever this is did. the first, t- first time we've had married companions. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, I, I like to think that Ian and Barbara got married after they got back. Uh, after they got back, I'm sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that would be that's a nice uh, retcon. Uh, anyway, uh, it may canon. even be established somewhere, but it's definitely part of my headcanon now that you mentioned yep. it. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and then we come to well, the dinosaurs on a spaceship. The, the, the episode, <laughs> the episode that was written for one line. Just yeah. like Snakes on the Plane with Samuel L. Jackson, this episode was written for one line. Well, and I, just like Snakes on a Plane was a colossal disappoint, disappointment, so was this. Yes. Well, in fact, I like to, I think that perhaps this was written be, because of Snakes on a Plane. It I was, thought someone I'm said, sure. yeah. yeah, like, oh, Snakes on a Plane, dinosaurs on a spaceship would be a great concept. We could do the yeah. doctor for Let's one up that. Exactly. <laughs> Now the 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 redeeming element of this is Brian Rory's dad. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's the one redeeming element in this episode. Uh, well, there's also David Bradley, who is always great. Uh, mm-hmm. He ends up playing the the first Doctor later on in uh, both Adventures in Time and Space and in Time and um, 
twice twice upon a time. Um, but yeah, we what do we have here? We have uh, Nefertiti. We have uh, a big game hunter, Amy, Rory, and Rory's dad, Brian, with the Doctor on a spaceship hurtling toward the Earth. Um, and this criminal named Solomon who's hijacked the ship, which actually belongs to Silurians, right? Is this what was, wasn't that the, uh, the premise? I'm trying to, like, it was so bad. I'm not even sure I remember the yeah, premise correctly. I don't correctly. remember at all. <laughs> um, so it's, we, you know, we'll, and, we'll get and, to and, really and, take this apart when we, when we get to it in our rewatch, but yeah. yes, <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty forgetful. I mean, it, yeah, it's, uh, it, I just remember it being really forgettable. <laughs> right. Um, the it, one scene I do remember from it is this is fairly far along in the Amy Rory story. And so they've gotten to the point where the companions are beginning to resemble the doctor. And yep. in this in this episode, we see Amy using the sonic screwdriver to do things on the ship. And so that's like kind of a threshold in doctorization in the doctorization of a companion is, you know, piloting the TARDIS, using the sonic screwdriver, things like that. Um, and we see her functioning in a doctor-like capacity in his absence. Um, and that's that's okay. I remember that. I like that. But almost, and, you know, in principle, I'm not opposed to teaming up with Nefertiri and, and um, a big game hunter and stuff like that. That's kind of colorful. But the execution on this was just lame. Yeah. And uh, let's... Remember that um, after this episode, a town called Mercy, town Ugh, called Mercy. It got even got even worse. Right, and then um, the the next Chris Chibnall episode was Power of Three, and then mm -hmm. the Angels Take Manhattan, which was the end of the Amy Rory uh, period as companions. Yeah. So you're right. I mean this this is the end of Amy Rory uh, as companions, yeah. and um, yeah, it's a sure sign of um, of a <laughs> what's it. Of the, the the impending departure of a companion when they start using the screwdriver and start acting like the doctor. That's yeah. Just a, mm -hmm. Yeah. Because where do you go with their character after that? They're not going to become co-main characters. Right. Uh, and equal to the doctor. So that's that's a sign they're about ready to leave. Right. And by the way, uh, I did confirm it was a Silorian arc. Had been uh -huh. sent out carrying... Uh, it's oh, actually okay. kind of like so Ark in Space. Make, that would make yeah. sense, yeah. Yeah, carrying dinosaurs and Silurians in suspension to, to go out and then eventually come back to Earth to repopulate after the comet um, sent, the, um, sent them underground. The moon. The, the, when the, the moon. big space egg got approached the Earth. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> With the dinosaur dragon in it. Anyway. Yeah. Um, don't try to make if it all only, If only they knew. <laughs> yeah. So um, then we have the power of three, which uh, uh, Father Corey, you were saying you didn't even remember. I I did not remember this episode at all. I read the the description online. It's like I don't remember watching this episode. I know I did. I watched. I've watched every episode of New Who. I know I've seen this. I don't remember it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, we, so well, in. In this one, it's the it's the penultimate Amy Rory episode. So it's the, the last regular adventure before their goodbye. And in this one, it and it starts with a neat concept. So I want to give it its props for that. It's set in 
what we learn from voiceover is called the year of the slow invasion. And this idea of the slow invasion <clears throat> is a neat thing. Basically, these little black cubes just start appearing and and they and they don't seem threatening and people aren't don't in the show don't realize they're on a show and these are going to be dangerous so they uh they don't really mind these little black cubes appearing until they activate and start stopping people's hearts and um it turns out they also do other things but they they also like possess orderlies whose mouths become start to look like these black cubes and they're under the control of something called a chakri which we're told is a kind of time lord legend it's kind of like the boogeyman and and they've they've got to defeat this chakri at the end and everything conceptually nothing about that sounds bad but it it's this is another episode where fans seem to think the execute it really falls down on the execution and I think so too. I don't hate this episode, but it's another meh episode, and I particularly don't like the cube mouth zombies and the Shakri. The Shakri seems like a totally throwaway disposable villain. Yeah, and the fact the fact you've said he's I mean he's some Time Lord legend. I'm sorry, that's not effective world building. If something is scary to the Time Lords, you need to build him up as something more than just a throwaway villain that we meet for five minutes and doesn't do much. Right. Um. So I I, I like some of the concepts in this episode, but I didn't like the execution. I, I felt like that's like, this might be another case of the title drove the plot in the sense mm. of they want to talk about the power of three, the doctor, Amy, Amy and, and Rory. Rory. Yeah. But, but and, also and notice uh, something, if something is to the power of three, it's, it's, cu cubed. it's a cube. Right. Yeah. Yep. So I feel like that was, so that sort of drove the, 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 uh, the plot. You know, there, this is, a, I think a case where elements of the story were better than the plot itself, which was, you know, the, the doctor came to live with them. So we had, Previously, we had Pond Life, where we saw them, mm -hmm. their life without the Doctor. Now the Doctor's living. What would it be like to have the Doctor as a housemate? I mean, that's sort of the idea. We kind of saw saw that with um, uh, James Corden. Uh, yeah. Uh, that episode. I can't remember the name. There's but, two of them. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, lodger. One where he, the Lodger. The Lodger. Right. Where he was renting a room for him. But this is, what if the Doctor came to live with his companions? And, it, you know, there was some funny moments, you know, the... And how the doctor that, is so manic, he could never settle down in one place and just yeah. live a, a suburban life. Yeah. And this is role reversal because normally the companions go to live with the doctor yep. rather than yep. the reverse. Yeah. Right. Um, it brings back uh, Kate Lethbridge-Stewart, which was nice uh, to have her back in the story. Um, it, it, apparently, um, there was a Kate Stewart character played by a different actress in some direct-to-video Doctor Who during the 90s, before the new Who came back. Something called Deimos Rising and uh, something else. <clears throat> but there was... So I, I, I saw references to it. Oh, I didn't know uh -huh. anything about yeah. it. Yeah, that's something we need to talk about. The interregnum Doctor Who direct-to-video uh, quasi-semi sort of legal fan productions. <laughs> but we right. need to do yeah. an episode on those at some point. 
that would be yeah that we should put make put that down um so and it had uh rory's dad brian uh in this one as well uh mm-hmm. making a, another appearance and so that was uh, good and then um one more story that is so which they didn't even film right so it's <clears throat> The Angels Take Manhattan was the episode in which Amy and Rory departed the show. <clears throat> they got left behind in Manhattan in the 40s uh, due to the Weeping Angels and a fixed point in time, and the doctor couldn't rescue them. And Brian had all had you know basically told them, you know, Rory's dad, go with the doctor. He'll take care of you. He'll bring you back. Um, <clears throat> and, and so they can't come back. And they can't come back. And so this scene was written as sort of post a postscript, literally a postscript scene was written that was never filmed and never included in the original story. But then they they eventually, as part of a proposed DVD extra, they were going to actually film it. That didn't happen. And so a storyboard version with Arthur Darvel doing the voiceover was created. It's written by Chris Chibnall, who did not write Angels Take Manhattan, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it, what it depicts... And you can watch it on YouTube. Yes. Well, and we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. And the um, we should do that de- for Pond Life as well. And Pond Life, yes. Um, it depicts uh, Amy and Rory's son, who's now a ge- an American man. gentleman older mm-hmm. than Brian, who's Brian's grandson, coming to Brian uh, about a week after they left and delivering a letter from Rory explaining what happened. And this is your this is your grandson. Um, and. It's it's very affecting. It's very yeah. you know, emotionally this affecting. Is, this is good. I wish they'd filmed this. Yeah, yeah. It would have. I mean, I think they felt like there was so much emotion just with the doctor and Amy and Rory mm-hmm. that to focus on Brian would would kind of deflect from the doctor's pain, and the doctor is the primary character, so you you miss that. But um, it was very it was very good, and I wish they'd at least put it on the DVD um, as as a filmed thing. Um, so that's. That's Chris Chibnall's period. He didn't write anything for Capaldi. Um, and, uh, um, which which and now, may be a blessing given how shaky the Capaldi era stories were anyway. Exactly. Right, right. Um, so, you know, overall, like we said, uh, there were some high points, some very low points, uh, some medium points, some very <laughs> low points. Um, the, it was more... There were good elements in in some of these, some very good elements in some of these, but none of them really was a uh, you know a home run uh, as complete stories. That's my yeah. Point. If I were to combine the high points and the low points and average them on a scale of of one to ten, I would say Chris Chibnall's writing on Doctor Who to date has been like a three point five or a four. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it's pretty low. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not no. terrible, but it's not. Yeah, it's a little below average. I mean, it peaks above yeah. average at times. I liked forty two. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I really hated dinosaurs on a spaceship, and the power of three and hungry Earth, cold blood were both kind of meh. The actually uh, some no. of the best Fair stuff enough. he's some of the best stuff he's done was in the was in the webisodes. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is interesting. Um. I guess I, I, um, I, I, I'd agree. I might, I might bump it up a little higher to just about average. Um, you know, compare that to Moffitt's pre showrunner, uh, turn. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people felt like a lo- the, that 
his average was higher. Um, yeah, I would say Moffat on my scale would be about a six or a six point five, and that is an indicator because I think some of Moffat's stuff is a ten. He had yeah. multiple tens. Oh yeah. Oh, and absolutely. so if if he's also if he just averages out at six point five, that means he's got some really low ones too. He's got some stinkers. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'd I'd say um, as far as showrunners go, I I put Moffat ahead of Russell T Davies. Uh, I liked mm-hmm. Moffat's work better than Davies' work. Um, I felt Moffat's stuff was a little more modern. Um, it was also more high concept. He, yeah, Moffat would build up longer running things like, I mean, the River Song and Amy and Rory becoming yep. a, with River becoming a family on the TARDIS for the first time. The doctor getting married. I mean, all of this, all of this stuff was very high concept compared to Russell mm-hmm. T. Davies. And I know it's a matter of taste, but I, I liked Moffat's uh, quick witted writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. know some people don't, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and I'll kind of miss it. But uh, so we'll I mean, maybe Moffa will write future episodes. I mean, it's, it's I, I it's doubt unlikely. that unlikely. Yeah. But but Chris Chibnall, you know, we'll have to see what kind of dialogue skills he's got. Yeah. Well, given and let's move on to uh, the, our, our next topic, given mm-hmm. that uh, the, the dialogue in uh, his other series, his recent series, Broadchurch, was very quippy, very uh, mm-hmm. snappy. Um, that gives me high hopes. So Broadchurch was a, uh, in case you haven't seen it, was a, a BBC, I think it's BBC. Yeah. It was a, a British production. I, I, I don't know off the top of my head if it was BBC or not. But a British production starring David Tennant um, as a uh, detective, uh, very crotchety, uh, mm-hmm. very very Scottish uh, detective. in Like a, a young C- Peter Capaldi. Yeah, pretty much, and a young uh, in, a, in a seaside uh, touristy village, um, and in the very first episode, the very first moments, a young boy uh, is murdered or dies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and so the, his death is investigated, uh, and as as a murder, and the and so the whole first season is who done it, right? Uh, the second season is the trial of who done it. And then mm-hmm. the third season is a whole other story. Unrelated crime. An unrelated yeah. crime, yeah. And the and so the other lead in Broadchurch besides David Tennant is Olivia what's Coleman. her name? Yeah. Coleman. So and it's so it's basically a buddy cop drama where you have um she initially was expecting a promotion. She just, in the first episode, she gets back from a trip abroad. She's been on vacation. She's expecting a promotion. And instead, David Tennant gets slid in over her head. And that sets up an antagonistic relationship initially between the two of them um, because he's got the position she was basically promised. And now they have to work together to solve this horrific crime. And she's a native of the town. He's an outsider. He's got a checkered past. Um, and And they're very psychologically complex characters they're very intelligently written there's a lot of tension between these characters but they eventually do establish a good working relationship and they push each other on different aspects of their lives there are twists in this it's very the this season is really well written um then they get to 
the resolution and the resolution holds up. And then in the first episode of the next season, you get a huge twist. Something happens that nobody in the town is expecting. It throws all of their lives into chaos. They they grind forward through adversity to a resolution that is, again, not at all what you're expecting. Um, And it's very successful writing, very psychologically complex, very satisfying. Now, this is a murder show. And it, I mean, it's about the murder of a child, so it's intense. Um, and it's a modern show, so there's cussing and things like that in it. But it's a very effective drama if that's your thing. Um, then the third season, meh, nowhere near as successful. The un, they, they, there's another twist that they could have taken with <clears throat> the existing plot line that they don't take. And instead they introduce a totally unrelated crime for the third season. And it's a big step down. It's nowhere near as dramatic. The show becomes much preachier and much less satisfying. The other part is, is they, they also need, they also go back to the, the background of of the David Tennant's character, D.I. Hardy, uh, to kind of resolve the, the mystery of his appearance in the first, you know, what, what is his, his, his history, his scandalous yeah. history. They sort of resolve, they resolve that, not just sort of, they do resolve that. Um, and they have more with the ca- characters and situations from the first two from seasons. From the first so, two seasons. That, so there's that a they lot going of, on. Yeah, yeah. They play with that, but they don't make it the central focus. And so it feels like a letdown. Right. Um, I, I really I felt like the um, the re, the relationship between um, Ellie and Hardy uh, it kind of felt like a doctor companion relationship in some ways. Like he is the older, yeah. cynical, more experienced policeman. She's younger than he is, but she's not young. I mean, she's, she's all, mature. All just it, it's kind of like Doctor Donna. Yeah, uh, but she's much more uh, optimistic small town um that sort of thing but but plays a foil to to uh hardy's um cynic um and cynicism and 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 actually is valuable she's not just the the clueless small town cop she actually contributes yeah so there's a complexity of the characters she's competent and of the two characters she's the central camera character she's our viewpoint character right and then there's the secondary characters, which it's got a large cast of regular uh, ca- mm-hmm. uh, characters. Um, Jody Whitaker, who is our thirteenth Doctor, plays right. the the mom of the deceased child, uh, right. and we get we get her emotional uh, reactions. Yeah. yeah, and it feels mm-hmm. true to life. I mean, it feels like mm-hmm. this would be how it could be. You know, would be. And in fact, in the second and third seasons, um, I felt like her character really actually. Um, felt true uh throughout those those two seasons i i in i found myself obviously in the first season i think i agree i think she's she's very true to life she's very sympathetic the grief that she's going through and the agony and the confusion is 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 very believable and you really sympathize for her and something starts to happen with her and her husband that actually in real life frequently does happen when a child dies. Her marriage starts to break up. Mm 
Yeah. And right. um and and that's believable too. When we get to the third season though, she's moved beyond being someone that I find myself naturally sympathizing for. She's become unforgiving and indignant. And I don't find I I I don't find she's not wounded anymore. She's become she she's become unforgiving and indignant. And I'm sorry, I don't find unforgiving and indignant people sympathetic. I uh, I think that's but I don't think that was unintentional. I think that was intentional. I think it was intended mm-hmm. to, to show that you know this is what can happen. To people, because we see several, she encounters other people who've lost children in in violent crime, and this is what can happen to people who who've been touched by violent crime like this, um, that they can become unsympathetic. I think it was intended to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's a fault of the of the writing misfiring. Hey. But whether we she, whether that character should have gone there, that's that's yeah. Well, that's and and I'm not. I, I agree. People can be wounded by their experiences, and they can close off emotionally in a way that could make them unsympathetic. But the problem with unsympathetic characters is I find them unsympathetic, and I and I, <laughs> I, I, I want to sympathize with the characters. It's you know, yeah. it's this, this is my this is one of the big problems with the movie Gone with the Wind. Nobody in this movie is a sympathetic character except Mammy, and she's right. not the main character. Exactly. <laughs> that was uh, what was that? the oh the um, there was a movie. Oh, I can't remember. There was the same. I had the same things. Like I, I want them all to die. Like just can they, can yeah. everyone just die? Yeah. <laughs> like I had like so um, other Doctor Who connections in this uh, series. Uh, Arthur Darvel plays yep. a, a, a priest, an, an ang- priest. Yeah. Yep. Uh, who is who is a sympathetic character? He's got this tough yeah. challenge. He's in this teeny little place, um, and and so everybody's there's not mad a lot. at God. <laughs> Everyone's mad at God. He's got to try to be the uh, a healer and a bridge in the community, even though it's a very secular community at this point in England's history. And so he's kind of he's he's an underdog. Um, yeah. but he's a sensitive, sympathetic character and, uh, and he's a basically good guy. He kind of starts off by, you know, with tropes and, you know, uh, kind of, uh, naive, mm-hmm. uh, but he evolves yep. a bit over time, which is good. Um, and he stands up when needed. I mean, in, like yeah. he'll give pushback. Yeah. So, uh, Father Corey, did you, did you get a chance to see Broadchurch or? I really uh, only saw... Probably about half of the first season when it was still airing, and then time, you know, and life yeah. got in the way. And it, it, I liked what I saw. I mean, what what li- what I little I did see. I, you know, a lot of the stuff you guys talk about, especially for the first season, was you know, it's so true. It's it's it really is what I saw was a well done series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you should if you liked what you saw, you should definitely go back and watch at least the first two seasons. And yeah. I, I want to do that. I was just looking online. Um, it is available for purchase on Amazon Prime Video. So it is available and it is, it's an ITV production. It's not a BBC production. Okay. Oh, that's, okay. that's what I, maybe I, I realized after I said, I was that. hoping, um, I was hoping it was on BritBox since I already have the subscription of that for Dr. Who, but unfortunately I not. I know. And, you know, I, 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 I kept saying to my wife uh, while we were watching it, like I, I really want to see D.I. Hardy and, uh, and Ellie as the doctor and companion. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to see David Tennant come back, but as, 
that personality, which we couldn't because really? of what they just he's, did he's, he's really jaded and cynical in that. I don't know I that I want to see the doctor being that jaded <laughs> and cynical. I don't know. It felt, it felt like, especially by the end of the second season, uh, it started to change. But I just, I don't know. Uh, I kind of like seeing the the doctor, the difference. See, I, I kind of like Capaldi. I liked hmm. that difference from the 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 tenant and Matt Smith kind of uh, loopy doctor. I wanted to see, I don't know. I feel like a, 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 to see something different, but that's mm-hmm. that's just me. And I don't have as long of a history with Doctor Who as you guys. So yeah, yeah. Uh, should also mention um, they tried to take Broadchurch and bring it over here on Fox. Fox yes. Total Total called Total Swap. Great. And yeah. it just yeah. it died. It didn't get past the first season at it all. Was, and it was the same the story. That's the thing. And, and it, it had just, David Tennant in it. Yeah. Yeah. As an American. So it was yeah. transplanted to California from a California coastal town from a, a, yep. an English coastal town. Um, David Tennant playing an American uh, detective. It was a shot for shot. The first episode was a shot for shot remake of the first episode of mm-hmm. Broadchurch. And then it diverged from there. And. I don't know if that was the problem or what, but yeah, like you said, it just didn't work. Um, there, it could be just that the actors were not up to the task. Or there's uh, a I, there's a long history of American remakes of British shows not working. Um, right there, I remember back in the seventies, they remade um, the Faulty Towers with B. Arthur as a oh show geez. called <clears throat> called Amanda's by the Sea. And they remade the fall and rise of Reginald Perrin as a um, as a show called Reggie with Bert Campbell from Soap on it as the main character. <laughs> wow. And 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 but they did remake of, The Office and that was a success. Both sides. Yeah, that was it, a success. So it does yeah. happen occasionally. It's, it's arguably rare. bigger a success even. Yeah. One one um, thing I think that is one of the reasons these sometimes fail is American TV, and this may be changing in the Netflix era, but classically American TV will take the edge off because it's trying to appeal to a broad audience because it's not government supported. It needs ratings. Right. Um, it tries to appeal to a broad audience, and so it will take the edge off of British stories. So, like, there's that classic episode of Faulty Towers where one of the hotel guests has died, and they're trying to hide the body, um, <laughs> you know, to keep people from being freaked out by it. And so you have this dead body, like, in a clothes hamper and things like that. And in the American version with B. Arthur, well, guess what? He's not dead. He's just unconscious, which totally takes the edge off of it. Yeah. Right. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I think, I mean, is there anything left to say about uh, Christian well, Wells? Yeah. I think there's one thing for me, which yeah. is so Broad Church, at least the first two seasons of it are awesome. And, and that's a hopeful sign to me for the next for Chris Chibnall's era of Doctor Who. Um on the other hand, Jody Whittaker. Um I and you you know th- I find myself as that series goes along, I mean she's never the central character. Initially, she it, she shows us a believable wounded character that you really sympathize for and then she becomes an intolerant, unforgiving character that you don't sympathize for. In neither of those roles does she show me what I want to see in the Doctor. Mm -hmm. And now, 
Chris Chibnall may say, oh, well, I wrote her this way and I know she's capable of so much more. And this is a tribute to how great an actor she is that she could do both of these things I wanted her to do. But she still hasn't shown me that right. she can be a likable, fun character that, you know, I would want to travel through space and time with. Well, but, you know, that's that's happens every time there's a new doctor. You know, Matt Smith, who had ever heard of Matt Smith when he came out? He was a relative unknown, really, yeah. even over in England. He really I mean, he had some he was kind of like, you know, a lot of bit parts and things like that. As I recall, mm -hmm. he never really had like a leading role or well, major leading role before Doctor Who. Or even you know, a, maybe a better example might be Peter Capaldi, whose prior work uh, was this uh, TV series where he was uh, a very, swear, a second, you know, cursing, yeah, yeah. very abrasive, very angry. That was the shtick on that show. But that was a comedy. Yeah. yeah. Right. What so, Jodie Whittaker has not played comedy for us yet. So I'm not right. saying I, I'm not saying this is a bad sign. I'm just saying. We don't it's know. It's an inconclusive sign. I'd There's like some question to, marks. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So th this kind of leads actually into uh, what we're going to talk about next time, which is uh, we're, uh, we're going to, you know, what's our advice for Chris Jimnall? But uh, what's, first. What's he me, need to do? Yeah. Yep. So we're going to um, give him our, our nickels yeah, worth of free a, advice. For it to be a success. We're going to give them our nickel's worth of free advice <laughs> exactly. now that the series is filmed. Right. But yeah. before we get to that, uh, we want to hear what uh, what you listeners uh, think about um, Chris Chibnall's previous work on Doctor Who, what you thought of Broadchurch, um, and how you think that fits in with uh, with Doctor Who. And, and if you've seen Torchwood, how you what you think that yes. what light that sheds on all this? Definitely, definitely, we want to hear what you thought of that as well. So you can do all that. Let us know. Go visit sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us some feedback there on this show's um, uh, posting. Or send us an email to doctorwho at sqpn.com. You can either write out your comment or you could record some audio feedback. Your phone's voice memo function is great for that. And you can find links to all our personal uh, social media and websites as well as uh, we'll, I'll put the links to the uh, the YouTube videos on our show notes on sqpn.com. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Hit the bell for notifications. Do all that great stuff and share with your friends. Yes, please do. Uh, let's spread the word, especially as we've got a new season of Doctor Who coming. Uh, we'll be, we'll be uh, tackling each of those episodes as they air. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, th this is a big moment in Doctor Who history. A lot, a lot of us are going to want to talk about it. So help your friends to fi you know, find us and join us in this conversation. We want to uh, participate with them. So um, like I said, next time we'll, we'll have our dear Chris Chibnall, our advice. Uh, so until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Dr. Who. Thanks, Don. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. well. Glad to be here and thank you. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, as Ellie says to D.I. Hardy in Broadchurch, you don't need fish and chips. What kind of a Scot are you? When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.